Hi, parents, guardians, caregivers, any adult who's getting this started at bedtime, at playtime. I'm so glad that you are here, and I want to thank you for choosing me to be your child or children's reader for the next half hour or so. You can find the list of stories in the show notes as usual. And this week we have something very special. We are starting a small chapter book. It's called My Father's Dragon and we're reading the first three chapters this week. It will take three episodes to complete that book. So our next podcast, the next Odd Wednesday, so not next week, but the next week, we will have the middle section of the book and then we'll complete it on the podcast after that. Thank you so much for listening. This is such a wonderful way to support the podcast. And thank you for your reviews on your platform of choice. That really does drive our podcasts and it helps get us out there so more children can enjoy listening and reading along with me. And of course... You can find the link to our Patreon if you'd like to support us monetarily in the show notes, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash raggedy auntie. And with no further ado, thank you so much for listening, and I am so glad you are here. Hello, my sweet friend. Hello, my sweet friends. Welcome back to the Book Nook. I'm Raggedy Auntie, and today we have a wonderful set of stories. We're going to begin with a story about the way things are for a blacksmith. Then we'll follow that with the first three chapters of My Father's Dragon. And we'll also hear from Winkin, Blinkin, and Nod. Let's get started. Before we read this poem, let's think about how a blacksmith manages their day. The first thing they do is they get up in the morning and they light their forge. That is a fireplace, sometimes big, sometimes small, that has coals and wood in it that burn hot, 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 so hot it's hard to stand near that fire. Then they put on a very thick leather apron and very thick leather gloves, and they put on things to protect their hair and their face and all of their skin from this very hot, hot fire. And then you know what they do? They take the thing they're working on. Maybe they're repairing a sword from a great knight, or they're making the railing of a balcony for Paris. They take those items and they put them in the hot, hot, hot fire until that metal glows red hot. And then they strike it with a hammer or they turn it and twist it with tongs. They use wood and water to make that metal super strong. It's a hard job and it takes a strong person to do it. We're going to hear the story of a village smith who is a man who has a very interesting life. But one of my favorite blacksmiths is my friend Sue, and she is a lady blacksmith. So you can be anything you want to be, no matter who you are. Let's hear about this blacksmith. The Village Blacksmith by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. 
a spreading chestnut tree the village smithy stands. The smith, a mighty man is he, with large and sinewy hands, and the muscles of his brawny arms are strong as iron bands. His hair is crisp and black and long. His face is like the tan. His brow is wet with honest sweat. He earns whatever he can and looks the whole world in the face, for he owes not any man. Week in, week out, from morn till night, you can hear his bellows blow. You can hear him swing his heavy sledge with measured beat and slow. Like a sexton ringing the village bell when the evening sun is low. And children coming home from school looking at the open door. They love to see the flaming forge and hear the bellows roar and catch the burning sparks that fly like chaff from a threshing floor. He goes on Sundays to the church and sits among his boys. He hears the parson pray and preach. He hears his daughter's voice singing in the village choir and it makes his heart rejoice. It sounds to him like her mother's voice, singing in paradise. He needs must think of her once more, how in the grave she lies, and with his hard, rough hands he wipes a tear out of his eyes. Toiling, rejoicing, sorrowing, onward through life he goes. Each morning sees some task begin, each evening sees it close. Something attempted, something done, has earned a night's repose. Thanks, thanks to thee, my worthy friend, for the lesson thou hast taught. Thus at the flaming forge of life our fortunes must be wrought. Thus on its sounding anvil shaped each burning deed and thought. What a wonderful poem. I could almost feel the heat from his fire. And what a sweet story about how he attends church and listens to his daughter sing. Next, we are going to read the first three chapters of the book, My Father's Dragon. This is one of my favorite books about changing the way that things are. And you'll hear a little bit about that as we begin this story. Now, we won't finish this book this time. And we'll get a little bit more of it next time. And then a little bit more the time after that. So this is part one of My Father's Dragon. My Father's Dragon by Ruth Stiles Gannett. Chapter 1 My Father Meets the Cat One cold rainy day when my father was a little boy, he met an old alley cat on his street. The cat was very drippy and uncomfortable, so my father said, wouldn't you like to come home with me? This surprised the cat. She had never before met anyone who cared about old alley cats. But she said, I'd be very much obliged if I could sit by a warm furnace and perhaps have a saucer of milk. 
We have a very nice furnace to sit by, said my father, and I'm sure my mother has an extra saucer of milk. My father and the cat became good friends, but my father's mother was very upset about the cat. She hated cats, particularly ugly old alley cats. Elmer Elevator, she said to my father, if you think I'm going to give that cat a saucer of milk, you're very wrong. Once you start feeding stray alley cats, you might as well expect to feed every stray in town, and I'm not going to do it. This made my father very sad, and he apologized to the cat because his mother had been so rude. He told the cat to stay anyway, and that somehow he would bring her a saucer of milk each day. My father fed the cat for three weeks, but one day his mother found the cat's saucer in the cellar, and she was extremely angry. She whipped my father and threw the cat out the door, but later on my father sneaked out and found the cat. Together they went for a walk in the park and tried to think of nice things to talk about. My father said, when I grow up, I'm going to have an airplane. Wouldn't it be wonderful to fly just anywhere you might think of? Would you like to fly very, very much? Asked the cat. I certainly would. I'd do anything if I could fly. Well, said the cat, if you'd really like to fly that much, I think I know of a sort of a way you might get to fly while you're still a little boy. You, you mean you know where I could get an airplane? Oh, well, not exactly an airplane, but something even better. As you see, I'm an old cat now, but in my younger days, I was quite a traveler. My traveling days are over, but last spring, I took just one more trip and sailed to the island of Tangerina, stopping at the port of cranberry well it just so happened that i missed the boat and while waiting for the next i thought i'd look around a bit i was particularly interested in a place called wild island which we had passed on our way to tangerina wild island and tangerina are joined together by a long string of rocks. But people never go to Wild Island because it's mostly jungle and inhabited by very wild animals. So I decided to go across the rocks and explore it for myself. It certainly is an interesting place, but I saw something there that made me want to weep. Chapter Two, My Father Runs Away. Wild Island is practically cut in two by a very wide and muddy river, continued the cat. This river begins near one end of the island and flows into the ocean at the other. Now the animals there are very lazy and they used to hate having to go all the way around the beginning of this river to get to the other side of the island. It made visiting inconvenient and mail deliveries slow, particularly during the Christmas rush. Crocodiles could have carried passengers and mail across the river, but crocodiles are very moody and not the least bit dependable and are always looking for something to eat. They don't care if the animals have to walk around the river. So that's just what the animals did for many years. But what does all this have to do with airplanes? asked my father, who thought the cat was taking an 
awfully long time to explain. Be patient, Elmer, said the cat as she went on with the story. One day, about four months before I arrived on Wild Island, a baby dragon fell from a low-flying cloud onto the bank of the river. He was too young to fly very well, and besides, he had bruised one wing quite badly, so he couldn't get back to his cloud. The animals found him soon afterward, and everybody said, Why, this is just exactly what we've needed all these years. They tied a big rope around his neck and waited for the wing to get well. This was going to end all their crossing the river troubles. I've never seen a dragon, said my father. Did you see him? How big is he? Oh, yes, indeed, I saw the dragon. In fact, we became great friends, said the cat. I used to hide in the bushes and talk to him when nobody was around. He's not a very big dragon, about the size of a large black bear, although I imagine he's grown quite a bit since I left. He's got a long tail and yellow and blue stripes. His horn and his eyes and the bottoms of his feet are bright red. And he has gold-colored wings. Oh, how wonderful, said my father. What did the animals do with him when his wing got well? They started training him to carry passengers. And even though he's just a baby dragon, they work him all day and all night too sometimes. They make him carry loads that are much too heavy. And if he complains, they twist his wings and beat him. He's always tied to a stake on a rope just long enough to go across the river. His only friends are the crocodiles who say hello to him once a week if they don't forget. Really, he's the most miserable animal I've ever come across. When I left, I promised I'd try to help him some day, although I couldn't see how. The rope around his neck is about the biggest, toughest rope you can imagine, with so many knots and it would take days to untie them all. Anyway, when you were talking about airplanes, you gave me a good idea. Now I'm quite sure that if you were able to rescue the dragon, which wouldn't be the least bit easy, he'd let you ride him most anywhere, provided you were nice to him, of course. How about trying it? Oh, I'd love to, said my father. And he was so angry at his mother for being rude to the cat that he didn't feel the least bit sad about running away from home for at least a little while. That afternoon, my father and the cat went down to the docks to see about ships going to the island of Tangerina. They found out that a ship would be sailing the next week. So right away, they started planning for the rescue of the dragon. The cat was a great help in suggesting things for my father to take with him, and she told him everything she knew about Wild Island. Of course, she was too old to go along. Everything had to be kept very secret, so when they found or bought anything to take on the trip, they hid it behind a rock in the park. The night before my father sailed, he borrowed his father's knapsack, and he and the cat packed everything very carefully. He took chewing gum, two dozen pink lollipops, a package of rubber bands, a compass, a toothbrush and a tube of toothpaste, six magnifying glasses, 
a very sharp jackknife, a comb, and a hairbrush, seven hair ribbons of different colors, an empty grain bag with a label saying cranberry, some clean clothes, and enough food to last my father while he was on the ship. He couldn't live on mice, so he took 25 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and six apples, because that's all the apples he could find in the pantry. When everything was packed, my father and the cat went down to the docks to the ship. A night watchman was on duty, so while the cat made loud, strange noises to distract his attention, my father ran over the gangplank onto the ship. He went down into the hold and hid among some bags of wheat. The ship sailed early the next morning. Chapter 3 my father finds the island. My father hid in the hold for six days and nights. Twice he was nearly caught when the ship stopped to take on more cargo. But at last he heard a sailor say that the next port would be Cranberry and that they'd be unloading the wheat there. My father knew that the sailors would send him home if they caught him. So he looked in his knapsack and took out a rubber band and the empty grain bag with the label saying cranberry. At the last moment, my father got inside the bag, knapsack and all, folded the top of the bag inside and put the rubber band around the top. He didn't look just exactly like the other bags, but it was the best he could do. Soon the sailors came to unload. They lowered a big net into the hold and began moving bags of wheat. Suddenly, one sailor yelled, Great Scott, is this the queerest bag of wheat I've ever seen? It's all lumpy-like, but the label said it's to go to Cranberry. The other sailors looked at the bag, too, and my father, who was in the bag, of course, tried even harder to look like a bag of wheat. Then another sailor felt the bag, and he happened to get hold of my father's elbow. I know what this is, he said. This is a bag of dried corn on the cob. And he dumped my father into the big net along with the bags of wheat. This all happened in the late afternoon, so late that the merchant in Cranberry, who had ordered the wheat, didn't count his bags until the next morning. He was a very punctual man and never late for dinner. The sailors told the captain, and the captain wrote down on a piece of paper that they delivered 160 bags of wheat and one bag of dried corn on the cob. They left the piece of paper for the merchant and sailed away that evening. My father heard later that the merchant spent the whole next day counting and recounting the bags and feeling each one trying to find the bag of dried corn on the cob. <laughs> he never found it because as soon as it was dark, my father climbed out of the bag, folded it up and put it back in his knapsack. He walked along the shore to a nice sandy place and lay down to sleep. My father was very hungry when he woke up the next morning. Just as he was looking to see if he had anything left to eat, something hit him on the head. It was a tangerine. He'd been sleeping right under a tree full of big, fat tangerines. And then he remembered that this was the island of Tangerina. Tangerines grew wild everywhere. My father picked as many as he had room for, which was 31, and started off to find Wild Island. He walked and walked and walked along the shore looking for the rocks that joined the two islands. He walked all day. 
And once he met a fisherman and asked him all about Wild Island. The fisherman began to shake and couldn't talk for a long while. It scared him that much just thinking about it. Finally, he said, Many people have tried to explore Wild Island, but no one has come back alive. We think they were eaten by the wild animals. This didn't bother my father. He kept walking and slept on the beach again that night. It was beautifully clear the next day, and way down the shore, my father could see a long line of rocks leading out into the ocean. And way, way out at the end, he could just see a tiny patch of green. He quickly ate seven tangerines and started down the beach. It was almost dark when he came to the rocks, but there, way out in the ocean, was the patch of green He sat down and rested a while, remembering that the cat had said, If you can, go out to the island at night, because then the wild animals won't see you coming along the rocks, and you can hide when you get there. So my father picked seven more tangerines, put on his black rubber boots, and waited for dark. It was a very black night, and my father could hardly see the rocks ahead of him. Sometimes they were quite high. And sometimes the waves almost covered them, and they were slippery and hard to walk on. Sometimes the rocks were far apart, and my father had to get a running start and leap from one to the next. After a while, he began to hear a rumbling noise. It grew louder and louder as he got nearer to the island. At last, it seemed as if he was right on top of the noise, and he was. He had jumped from a rock onto the back of a small whale who was fast asleep and cuddled up between two rocks. The whale was snoring and making more noise than a steam shovel, so it never heard my father say, Oh, I didn't know that was you, and it never knew my father had jumped on its back by mistake. For seven hours, my father climbed and slipped and leapt from rock to rock, But while it was still dark, he finally reached the very last rock and stepped off onto Wild Island. You know, I could hardly stop reading that book. I had to find a stopping place. And Elmer Elevator, my father, reaching Wild Island is the best place to stop because next we get to hear about all his adventures on the island. I just love hearing about how he goes on a quest to set free a baby dragon that's being held captive. Now, the world isn't always the best for that dragon, is it? And it's not always wonderful for the cat or for my father, Elmer Elevator. But with effort, we can change the world. But before we change the world, we have to take a nap or go to sleep. And I know it sounds silly, but I'm going to let you in on a secret about sleeping There are three characters that you always take with you when you go to sleep. Their names are Winkin', Blinkin', and Nod. 
And this next poem tells us a little bit more about their adventures in Slumberland. Winkin, Blinkin, and Nod by Eugene Field Winkin, Blinkin, and Nod one night sailed off in a wooden shoe, sailed on a river of crystal light into a sea of dew. Where are you going and what do you wish? The old moon asked the three. We have come to fish for the herring fish that live in this beautiful sea. Nets of silver and gold have we, said Winkin, Blinkin, and Nod. The old moon laughed and sang a song as they rocked in the wooden shoe, and the wind that sped them all night long ruffled the waves of dew. The little stars were herring fish that lived in the beautiful sea. Now cast your nets wherever you wish, never afeard are we. So cried the stars to the fishermen three, winkin', blinkin', and nod. All night long their nets they threw to the stars in the twinkling foam. Then down from the skies came the wooden shoe, bringing the fishermen home. Twas all so pretty a sail it seemed, as if it could not be, and some folk thought twas a dream they'd dreamed of sailing that beautiful sea. But I shall name you the fishermen three, Winkin, Blinkin, and Nod. Winkin and Blinkin are your two little eyes, and Nod is your little head. And the wooden shoe that sailed the skies, why, that's your trundle bed. So shut your eyes, while raggedy auntie sings of wonderful sights that be, and you shall see the beautiful things as you rock on the misty sea, where the old shoe rocked the fishermen three, winkin', blinkin', and nod. My goodness, just thinking about Winkin, my one eye, Blinkin, my other eye, and Nod, my sleepy, sleepy head, makes me a little bit tired. I can't wait until next time when we read the middle part of My Father's Dragon together. And remember, whether it's a baby dragon or our baby brother who's not being treated the way that they should be, we can tell an adult, put in some hard work, and change the way that things are. Until we meet again, I hope that you stay happy, stay healthy, and keep reading. Stay happy, stay healthy, keep reading. Stay happy, stay healthy. Keep reading until the day comes we meet again. Stay happy, stay healthy, keep reading, my friend.